So with that, we'll get into our passage in Hebrews. And I don't have slides this morning because we were going to be outside, so I didn't make any. But if you open to Hebrews chapter 11, that's where we're going to continue. So open to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to pray as we get started. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you redeemed us so completely that our worship is even sweet to you. Because in the state that we were in before, we had nothing valuable to offer you. But you redeemed us and gave us your Holy Spirit and gave us a voice with which we can worship you and honor you. So we thank you for that, Lord. So bless us as we hear from your word. Help me to say what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Hebrews 11. We've been going through, they call it the hall of faith. We've been list, This is our 15th week in Hebrews chapter 11, which is actually, we, we were in an elders meeting yesterday morning and somebody pointed out uh, that this is like the most, this is the closest to a topical sermon series that Calvary has almost ever done because we usually go through a chapter at a time so you can go verse by verse by verse every single week but we're doing one verse per week which makes it pretty topical because most verses only have one topic in them so we've been doing maybe a little bit of a Calvary departure but we're still going through verse by verse and what we've seen verse by verse is this letter to the Hebrew Christians recounting the stories of different people from the Old Testament doing incredible things because of their faith in God. So we, ha- we come to a little bit of a change in pace here in Hebrews 11, 36 through 40. So I'm going to read those verses. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So we've been going slowly, person by person. Each, each verse or two verses or so was bringing up another uh, account of someone from the Old Testament whose deeds had been recorded and whose actions in the name of God had been recorded. So we could do, we've, we've also almost done uh, a pretty much a whole Old Testament survey over the past 15 weeks as we keep looking back at these accounts from the Old Testament. And then two weeks ago, Keith brought us through uh, verses 33 and 34, which did kind of a a big old summary of several people all at once in just a couple verses that said it it was these prophets and men who through faith, it says, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. So we were going slowly, person by person, every couple verses. Then a couple weeks ago, we got to a whole summary 
of some of these several victorious acts that were done in the name of God. But now we're coming to a change of pace and we're seeing a summary of some things that can happen in the name of God that appear on their face to be slightly less victorious. And the writer to the Hebrews is warning people about those things that they might endure. So as he begins this topic of persecution that people might face, he He's already sort of broached the topic because if we look back at chapter 10, the readers already would have read in his letter uh, that persecution and mistreatment was not only possible, but likely. And in fact, they had already experienced it to some extent. So if we look at Hebrews 10, starting in verse 32, the author wrote, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, after you had received Jesus, when you endured a great when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For, and then he quotes the Old Testament, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong, he says, to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So, He's already touched on this topic of the difficulties that people face when they turn to Jesus and start being a follower of him in a way that flies in the face of the culture that we live around. So in, in that part of chapter 10 and through all of chapter 11 and then the beginning of chapter 12, he's sharing account after account after account of encouragement of what God does through people who trust in him and the reward that he offers for those who endure until the end. So we're talking about martyrs, so we're going we're gonna to do this by asking a couple of questions to bring us through the four verses here that we're looking at. So who were they is the first one. Who is he summarizing here? Well, for this, we're going to have to look at some text, some extra biblical text. Who's ever heard of the books of the Maccabees? Has anybody heard of those? Okay. Um, I think the Greek Orthodox Church considers those canonical. I think there's one that they consider not. We don't consider those to be canonical. So anytime we're taking something from one of those, of course we're going to take it with a grain of salt. But if we're looking for historical accounts, there are things in there that might be what the author to the uh, Hebrew Christians is referencing here. So some of the stuff that we'll learn about some of these martyrs, some of the people that he's talking about here could be coming from the books of the Maccabees. Some of them could be coming from the writings of Josephus. Who's familiar with Josephus at all? A historian. Um, origin of Alexandria. He was another that wrote some historical accounts. He was an early uh, Christian in the early church. So some of them that, he could, that the writer to the Hebrews could have been referencing, some sort of contemporary accounts that would have been happening at the same time as he's writing this letter around the same time, would have been uh, the Maccabean Martyrs, the, the book of the Maccabees. I believe it's two and four Maccabees that records a lot of the 
persecution that the Jewish Maccabees faced. The Maccabees, for anyone who doesn't know, they were not, they were not Christians. They were a, Jew, a group of Jewish rebels. If I'm getting his first name right, I think the, the father was Matthias Maccabee, and he had five sons, and they staged this revolt. They gathered support against the oppressive ruling bodies that were oppressing the Jews. They fought against Greek rule, and they were martyred by Greek ruler uh, Antiochus IV. So I was looking up, okay, if it was the Greeks that they were fighting against and they were martyred by them, what were some of the Greek torture methods, the Greek martyr, martyrdom methods? And some of them are pretty, pretty horrific. Maybe it's probably good that I don't have slides for some of that. They were scalded to death, it says. I don't want to, oof. They were scalded to death. They had their skin cut off or were stretched out on a wheel. Other Greek torture practices included burning people with fire, thumb screws, which were, they were clamps that you could tighten down the clamp on top and bottom so that it would just crush people's fingers slowly. Or they would break someone's joints so that they couldn't move, and then while they were defenseless, they would beat them to death. These were some of the things that the Greeks were doing to these Jewish martyrs. And since it was happening around the same time, the readers of this letter to the Hebrew Christians, they probably would have been familiar with some degree of this. But it wasn't just contemporary accounts. This wasn't, martyrdom wasn't a new thing. As we'll see in a little bit, we'll talk about Stephen, who was martyred, and he's telling the Pharisees, your, your, people, your people killed all the prophets of, of old. But we'll save that for a couple minutes from now. But a couple of them, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, this is recorded in Scripture. We don't have to look to any extra-biblical historical accounts for that. The prophet Zechariah was stoned to death. The prophet Isaiah, the Bible doesn't record his death, but there are some extra-biblical accounts that tell similar stories. Jewish tradition says that he was the one who was sawed in half. That is referenced here in Hebrews. According to a text called the Ascension of Isaiah, and then this was affirmed by uh, accounts by Tertullian and Justin Martyr and, and Origen of Alexandria. The prophet Isaiah was captured by the wicked king Manasseh, tied up in a bag, placed inside a hole in a tree, and then the whole tree was cut in half with Isaiah inside. Elijah and Elisha, they lived as wanderers in the wilderness, like the verses here that we read in Hebrews, they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. So there were wanderers among the Old Testament prophets. Even the more recent, at that time, John the Baptist was a wanderer. He was a wanderer. He wore goat skins and sheep skins, like our verses today we're talking about. He was imprisoned. He was killed. And then some other prophets who were martyred, according, again, to those various extra biblical accounts, were Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Jewish tradition says that these prophets were also killed. They did not die a peaceful death. And then some of the apostles. Peter was, was crucified. Again, we see that outside of biblical accounts. Peter was crucified. The tradition goes that Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as Christ. So he chose to be crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Uh, according to Josephus, James was clubbed to death. 
So this is not an uncommon thing. They would have been very much familiar with people facing persecution and their own death for maintaining faith in God. So that's who some of them were. So why were they persecuted? Sometimes it might feel a little bit obvious, like Zechariah will read his account. Like Zechariah, some were killed for speaking against the wickedness of the rulers that they were under. In Second Chronicles 24, verses 20 to 21, we see this account. And there's more to it there if you wanted to look at the rest of it when you get home. But we'll just read these two verses. It says, Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. So they hear this, and it says they plotted against him. And by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Others were killed for disobeying the religious precepts of the society that they were living in. And this was very much the case during the Roman oppression of the Jewish people. This, I found this quote that describes some of the things that were happening. Pagan practices, such as making sacrifices to emperors or other gods, were abhorrent to Christians, as their beliefs prohibited idolatry, as we know. The state and other members of civic society punished Christians for treason, various rumored crimes, so not real crimes, and we'll see that that was the case with Stephen, illegal assembly, and for introducing an alien cult that led to Roman apostasy. This, this, this Roman persecution of the Christians famously mostly began under Emperor Nero. His reign began in 54 A.D., and it didn't end. It continued with every Roman emperor until Emperor Constantine, who signed what's, what's called the Edict of Milan. It was an order in 313 A.D., so some 250-ish years after Emperor Nero begins persecuting the Christians, Emperor Constantine signs an order saying that all of these religions, they're allowed to practice freely in Rome. But for 250 years, Christians had to endure in Rome the possibility that they would just be killed for being a believer in God. Some, like Stephen, were even killed by the religious leaders. They weren't killed by the Romans. Stephen wasn't killed by the Romans. Stephen, Stephen was killed by the Jews. And we're going to read a good number of verses here from Acts about that account. Acts 6. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. A pre opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. They secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So these, these Jewish these Jewish people are using the same tactics as the Romans did. The Jewish people are using the same tactics as their oppressors in order to oppress a different group of people who they don't trust, who they don't like. 
They secretly persuaded men to bear false witness against Stephen. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling body. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And we won't go through all of chapter 7. We'll pick up in the end of chapter 7. But Stephen proceeds to deliver this monologue covering the entire history of the Jewish people showing that he definitely knows just as much as they do about Jewish history. He definitely knows the God that they have served. And he definitely knows that Jesus was that promised Messiah. He gives this whole history, this extraordinarily accurate history. And then he ends it like this. These people are bearing false witness against him. He tells them their whole history. And then he ends it like this. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Those, you who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen was killed. And it's interesting to note, too, that we don't know exactly who wrote the letter to the Hebrew Christians. But one of the cases that's often made is that Paul was a potential author. Paul was the Saul who was watching the coats in that account that we just read of the stoning, excuse me, of Stephen. Paul was that guy. So if Paul wrote this letter to the Hebrews, he was there watching when Stephen was killed. But now, as, as we know, if any of us are familiar with the story of Paul's life, and I see a ton of familiar faces, so I think everybody knows the story of, of Paul's life. He's experiencing some of this for himself. He's been imprisoned repeatedly. And he's encouraging these other believers, listen, I get it. I've seen what happens. I've experienced what happens. He's been on both ends of the persecution. And now he's teaching them from Scripture, how do we endure? How do they, under such threat to their lives, endure? So that's the next question we'll look at. And we'll look at this one fairly briefly. Why did they endure? We looked at what happened? What was this persecution? Who was being persecuted? Why were they persecuted? And now why did they endure? Why would they put up with this? 
Most simply, it's just by faith in God. If they did not sincerely trust God, if they didn't really believe that God was good and that He was a rewarder of those who seek Him, they wouldn't have bothered enduring. And they have, and you can see this especially in the account of Stephen, they have the same attitude that Jesus had when he was led to his, when he went willingly to his death on the cross. And I'll let Pastor Joe touch on the rest of this next week when we get into Hebrews 12. But I'll read just this portion of Hebrews 12 too that talks about the attitude that Jesus had. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was enduring something physically excruciating. I can't, I can't relate to that. I could not possibly wrap my mind around that sort of physical torture that Jesus went through. But it was because He had His eyes set on God and on the truth of what was to come that He was able to endure those things. And we see that Stephen had the same exact attitude When he, when he was preparing to deliver his response to the members of the Sanhedrin, they looked at him and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen even uh, modeled himself after Jesus at the end when he was right about to die. He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Who do you think he was, who do you think he was modeling there? He clearly had his mind set on Jesus. And that if he was to die in the name of his God, he was going to go out the same way that Jesus did. In forgiveness. Holding nothing against the people who were killing him. That's why they endured. Because they trusted God. So verses 39-40 through 40 we'll look at next. And all these, it says having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. That's the New American Standard, which tends to be a more literal word-for-word translation. might be good for Bible study if you're trying to dig into something. But the NIV puts it like this, and I think it's a little bit more clear. Verse 40 in the NIV says, Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect? Revelation 6, there's a verse in Revelation 6 that could help give a little bit more clarity to what this is talking about. Those who died before Christ, but trusted in God, they were marked as saved. They, they were redeemed. But they had to wait to receive the fullness of that gift until Jesus came, until the offering was actually made. They had to wait. Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 6, 11 says, Then each of them, this is talking about martyrs, was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So the gift of Jesus Christ was, was retroactively offered to everyone in the past, but they did have to wait for it. And I don't know in what state they had to wait. People talk about Abraham's bosom. People talk about where they, where they were in the meantime. But God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And the point is that all of us, from them way, well before Jesus, to those who were uh, killed at the same time that Jesus was walking on the earth, they were killed in his name, 
to those of us who might die in the name of Jesus today. All are perfected only in Jesus Christ. So, so what this means for us, I don't want to be so direct as to suggest that we need to try to relate to the question, think about what if you were to face death for your faith? Because honestly, I can't wrap my head around that question. And I don't know everybody's history is here, so maybe there are people who are from places or who, who have experienced a level of persecution that you might in a scenario like this. I'll back up for a second. The writer to the Hebrews is summarizing for us everything that he's just been talking about in the entire Hebrews 11, beginning with the thought in Hebrews 10 when he talks about persecution, moving to Hebrews 11 where he talks about accounts of faith in order to encourage people and build them up because they're going to be facing some of the same things. Hebrews 11 too, he opens by saying, for, for by it, by their faith, the people of old gained approval. And then verse 39 sounds almost exactly the same. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, so he's packaged this thought up for us. Here's his thesis up here. By their faith, all these men of old gained approval. He goes through, he lists them all, and now he's done. And he says, and all these, having gained approval through their faith. So he's constructed for us a massive list of those who gained approval under the old covenant for their faith in God. And they retroactively receive the blessing that is Jesus Christ and they all had in common one thing. And, and this one thing is what we have in common today. And it's faith in God. And, even, and David recognized this. That God, what God desired was not sacrifice. What God desired ultimately was not the animal's blood. He required it. But that was not his desire. His desire was a broken and contrite heart. And there were people under the old covenant, who understood that the desire of God was that they fully trust him to the point that for some of them, they would trust him up until the bitter end as they're killed for trusting him. They're commended by God, the author writes, and they're marked as faithful. Their sins not remembered. Because were there any sins of those people listed? In Hebrews 11, this wasn't like a whole survey of each of their lives. When, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this author to this, of this letter to the Hebrew Christians is writing this encouragement to the body. All that God remembers is the faithfulness of the people who trusted him. And they're receiving reward for that. And this is sort of just a side note, but that was really encouraging to me to recognize that because at the end of my life, when I'm with God, the account of my life, thanks to the blood of Jesus cleansing me completely, is not going to include my sin. It's going to include He trusted God. If I finish well, if I endure until the end, my record before God is going to be He trusted God. And that's the case for every single person in the room. And that's something that I've struggled with for a long time. I don't want to wake up, and I've said this, I said this before when we were going through Romans, I don't want to ever wake up and be thinking 
about how disgusting of a sinner I am. There's a moment of humility where we say, I need you, Lord, every single day. I cannot walk in holiness. I can't walk in righteousness without you. Of course there's that. But there's also agreeing with God that he's right when he describes how he sees me. And when God gives these accounts, when, when the writer to the Hebrews gives these accounts, it is evident that God is not remembering the sins of these men and women of faith. What he is remembering is that they trusted him and he is rewarding them for that. So these people are commended by God. They're marked as faithful. Their sins are not remembered, not because sin is fine, but because Jesus cleansed them perfectly. And, be, and they believed that God rewards those who seek him, which is a call back to verse 6 of this chapter. Without faith, is it, it is impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be one who rewards those who seek him. So now we need to look at our own lives. And I'll resume what I was saying earlier. I don't know how to relate to the question of, oh, could I, could I stand up under the threat of death if someone put a gun to my head and said, denounce God or you're going to die? I honestly, I would like to try to answer that question, but that's so far outside of my frame of reference because of the, the blessing of safety that we live in. And again, maybe other people have had different experiences, and I would love to know what that's like. I would love to know what that's like mentally when you're put in a position of honestly having to answer that question in real life. So that's not the exact question that I want to ask as we look at how we apply this to ourselves. Do we face persecution? Generally not in the United States. I don't know if anybody's been overseas where you might face more opposition for faith in God. My, my sister-in-law and her husband are missionaries in a country that when they're communicating electronically, they, they won't say the words pray or God or different things because of the danger that that could bring to their family if it's discovered that they're there for missionary purposes. They don't call themselves missionaries. The organization that facilitates their support doesn't call any of their people missionaries because that would put their lives in danger and they want them to be able to do work there. But that's not something that I can relate to. That's probably not something that most of us can relate to either. So do we face persecution? Generally not. Are we at risk of becoming martyrs? Again, generally, no, not here. The question that we need to ask if we're looking to gain any encouragement from the end of Hebrews 10 into Hebrews 11 to the beginning of Hebrews 12 is do we have faith like those who we just heard examples of? Do we have faith that matches the faith of those who were commended for their faith because they endured these hardships all the way up until the end, the bitter end of their lives? Are we willing to be killed for following God? I don't know how to answer that question. I hope the answer is yes, and that's about all I can say. But maybe we can get a little bit more relatable with the questions. Are we willing to look like an outcast? 
are we willing to just be the weird guy? Are we willing to be the one person at the family reunion whose life is clearly different and you can tell by their speech it's clearly different and you can tell by their love for the difficult people at the family reunion that they are different, that they're not reacting to the abrasive person in the same way that everybody else is? Or do we just kind of go with the flow? Or do we just jump on them too? Somebody's being annoying and we just, yeah, why would I be patient with them? They should know better. It's my, it's my parent. Why should, they should know better. They should treat me better than that. Or are we willing to be the odd one out who is a peacemaker when no one is making peace with us, who is forgiving when nobody has yet offered an apology? Just think about it. When Stephen and Jesus both asked the Lord not to hold it against the people that were killing them, did the people who were killing them stop killing them? And say, oh, you're right. Wow, that was so nice. I'm so sorry that I was killing you. They finished killing them. Jesus' body was buried. Stephen was buried. And yet, they were so full of the love of God, Jesus was the love of God embodied, that they said, Father, forgive them. I beg you to forgive them. Are we willing to act the same way? I think that's how we apply this today. Are we willing to be known for that in our places of work? It doesn't have to just be in our family. Are we willing to be known for that in our places of work? I forgot to text Joe Real and tell him that I was going to reference him in this because I referenced him last night when I was teaching at Chapel Hill. Joe Real, for those of you who know him, he's built. He's a gym guy. And he's got his gym buddies, and it's a big part of his life. And those guys are so huge and muscular that I would think there's no room for the Holy Spirit in there. There's all muscle. Like, wait, you can't fit anything else in there. It's too much muscle. But that's not the case if you know Joe. He's got the Holy Spirit and muscle. And you know what he's known as in the gym? He's known as Jesus Joe. He's known among his big, tough gym buddies as the Jesus guy. They call him Jesus Joe because he is willing to risk being an outcast. He was willing to risk being the weird guy, the odd one out. And now one of those guys bought a Bible of their own volition, and another guy has been asking him questions about Jesus regularly. But there have been times in my life where I'm so nervous that somebody might think that I'm a little bit awkward and not even say anything out loud that I won't say a word. I'll go with the flow. If someone's getting made fun of, I'll laugh along. Under such safety that we have here, I don't, know, I don't know if faith that can't even speak because I'm worried that someone might think I'm awkward is commendable faith. And that's where I think that we need to f start our drawing of encouragement from this passage. If the grace 
offered by God if the strength that we have in the Holy Spirit is so good that facing up to this level of persecution, people can stand firm and receive the reward that God has promised to all of us who endure until the end? I can absolutely endure people thinking that I'm awkward. I can absolutely endure being known as that weird Jesus guy in my place of work or that weird family member at the family reunion who goes to church all the time but honestly lives different, honestly lives like they believe what they say they believe. So are we willing to endure until the end no matter what that looks like in our circumstances? For most of us, Nine times out of 10, probably 99 times out of 100 for most of us, it's not going to look like what it looked like for these people here. But if we're going to honestly apply the word of the Lord here to our lives, all we need to do is look at our faith and say, to whatever extent I might be challenged for believing in God, am I willing to do it anyway? Or am I going to shrink back like he was talking about in chapter 10? And that's a challenging thought for me. That's a challenging thought for me. I didn't always, and I don't still always. I'm just now finding that, that people in my circles, uh, the, the military, I go back and visit my, my coworkers at the public works department that I used to work at. And now finally, after all these years, they know me as the, the Jesus guy. But at some of those places, they didn't know me like that before because I was not living an apparent, open, Christ-following life in front of them because I was too nervous. And so this still challenges me because I want to consistently be known more as a man of faith in God. I don't want to just be known as a churchgoer I don't want to just be known as some of them know that I work at the church now. I don't want to just be known as a guy who works at the church because that means nothing to me. What I want to be known for is what God is going to point out in me and that is he trusted me. Josh trusted God. That's what I want to be known for and that's what I want people in my life to see. And that's the same thing that we need to all take away from this. At your place of work, in your family, what are you known for? Are you known for your faith? I suspect that a lot of us are, and I think we can keep growing in that. So if the band wants to come back up, we'll close with a song. And what I'm going to do in closing here is just, I, I'm just going to pray for us. I'm just going to pray that we would honestly be receptive of an encouragement to live with enduring faith in God. And I'll offer this, even though I recognize most of the faces in here, what we're talking about is that regardless of how I've lived in the past, regardless of the things that I've done, regardless of the, the horrible things I've done, 
I owed God a debt for having misbehaved. I owed God a debt for having disobeyed him. Sometimes, I grew up in church, sometimes I disobeyed him knowingly. I would think about doing something, I would consciously realize that it was the wrong thing to do, that it would displease God, and I would go ahead and do it anyway. And I was still forgiven for that. And Jesus is the one who had to pay that debt for me. But he didn't just have to. He chose to. He loved me so much that he chose to pay to God the debt that I owed for my misbehavior. That's the message of the gospel. And he did that for every single person 